All right. Uh, good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 26. Uh, this is part two of our discussion on X-Men Children of the Atom, the uh, classic 1994 uh, fighting game from Capcom. Yeah, one of the most beautifully animated, like high flying, high action uh, fighting games. So real, real classic. Um, so I'm, I'm your host, uh, Richmond, and I'm here with my co-host, Sean, and we also have our special guests, uh, Thomas and uh, James. So, um, yeah, everybody say hello. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Hello. Yeah, so this is a part two of our talk on X-Men. Um, if you missed the first one, just head over to um, art-eater.com and click on podcasts and you can find the old one or just uh, whatever platform you're on. You know, if you feel like jump back to the old one. Or uh, I can just give you a quick recap um, of what we discussed last time. So basically, uh, Children of the Atom, that's one of the first like really beautifully animated fighting games from, from Capcom, who you know became the uh, kings of uh, 2D fighting games in this era, along with SNK. Uh, that and uh, Darkstalkers, or the vampire games, um, which we've talked about extensively in previous podcasts. Uh, both of those were super groundbreaking uh, for both gameplay and for raising the level of artistry, uh, particularly in the animation. These games just had really, really beautiful animation, like really incredible. And uh, we we absolutely gushed about it last time. I think uh, this time we'll get a bit more into uh, the gameplay and uh, sort of the the uh, legacy of this game. You know, just the effect, the deep, profound effect it had on the development of uh, fighting games afterwards. Um, but first, uh, I just want to drop a bit of trivia that I missed last time. So uh, last time on the podcast, uh, we, we, we talked a lot about how um, in Japan, actually, uh, in the early 90s, uh, Marvel wasn't really well known. Uh, and, you know, just outside of America, I don't think Marvel comics were that popular. There weren't any like mega hit, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, so uh the games were actually a way for uh capcom to introduce marvel to japan it wasn't the other way around it wasn't like oh you know this is an awesome license it was like capcom was already famous and um bit of cool trivia um found this out from katsuya akitomo's twitter uh, oh and he's someone else we talked about very much last time too uh, he was a sprite artist at capcom on uh dark stalkers and um Aliens versus Predator and Children of Adam and several other classics. Uh, he was the guy that originally pitched the idea for Darkstalkers. And um, he was a huge evangelist for Marvel at the time. He was a big part of why they picked up the license in the first place. So, uh, yeah, listen to the last podcast, find out more about that. And also you can follow him on Twitter at SJXQR393. Again, his handle is at SJXQR393. 393 uh Katsuya and He's i been... wanted to i wanted to mention for anyone if you're just browsing our twitter <clears throat> our most viral tweet ever is actually one with his handle and it's an image of the spiral sprite that we talked extensively about in the last podcast <laughs> that he did and which he graciously responded as well so you can yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. go look that yeah. up it's... yeah he's a great guy i've actually met him in person really really warm like cool caring guy like he, he really cares about the work that he did and the legacy you know of it the impact that's had on uh, fans and professionals all over the world um so yeah send him send him some some nice words of encouragement if you can let him know uh, how much the game meant to you um 
Anyways, the really cool trivia that I missed on the last podcast was um, apparently the X-Men cartoon, you know, the classic, if, if you were a 90s kid, you, you definitely know, know the show and can quote it with your friends. Um, so the 90s X-Men cartoon, uh, that was actually apparently um, uh, funded, pretty much funded by Capcom. They, they were largely responsible for bringing it out uh, in Japan. And they got the same voice actors from the cartoon to, you know, uh, reprise their roles in the games. And at the end of uh, uh, each episode, they would actually show fights from Children of the Atom. I, I didn't know that. Like it was, it was pretty extensive. Uh, the, the, yeah, the the coordination between the the show and the game. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Was yeah, that the one that uh, that starred Jubilee, or is that the second one? Like the the one like I remember there was one that had like Wolverine and his kind of brown and yellow, and then there was oh, one no, with the blue no, and yellow. It's not not Pride of the X Men. Not to be confused with the the one shot one episode pilot where uh, Wolverine is Australian for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that one had awesome animation, but uh, it, it was no um, that one I actually really enjoyed that one. But now I'm talking about the one from the uh yeah the one that came later that was actually like a show with several seasons and it followed the comic very closely actually um yeah and, oh and if you look it up the japanese version had an absolutely badass uh, opening the, oh the, yes uh, it did you know, like, yes amazing theme song um yeah yeah, yeah. uh so oh, i'm gonna find that and make sure it gets onto our twitter somehow the <laughs> yeah yeah all right, so um, where do we start? There's still so much to talk about with this game. Well, I Let's think talk. one of the things that I guess we could talk about is the uh, the gameplay, like how yeah. how it actually uh, affected the way that everyone kind of viewed what was possible, like in a fighting game. Uh, yeah. The, the interesting thing about this is that combos were. In Street Fighter, I mean, they were a part of, you know, multiple iterations of Street Fighter 2 and, you know, Street Fighter Alpha, which came a little bit later. But with this particular game, uh, they actually put this directly in your face in the intro. Um, there's a moment in the, in the intro where it literally says, combo is the key. And for me being a kid who used to sit at home and try to figure out how many jabs they could link before they could do Rekikens with Fei Long, uh, seeing that was like a huge impression on me. So I was like, whoa, what are they trying to, they're trying to tell me that you can do more than what you could before. You know, Street Fighter games usually had like four hit combos, five hit combos, um, you know, and that was kind of like the extent for the most part in most people's experience. But with Children of the Atom, you know, you were seeing combos done where a super by itself was more than 10 hits, it was like 20 to 30 hits to 40 hits. So it was really exciting to see that. And basically the way that they implemented a lot of this was not only were moves starting to be multi-hit on their own, uh, one of the best examples I can give of that is uh, both Spiral's standing heavy attacks where she literally hits you with all six of her fists um omega red had a jumping heavy punch or jumping fierce punch that actually was him swiping or whipping his carbonadium coils and that was like five hits um but the biggest thing that they implemented was called chain combos and basically the way that this worked was that you had three kicks and you had three punches so you could link from light from weakest to heaviest 
uh, you know, light punch into medium punch into heavy punch or light kick into medium kick into heavy kick. Uh, and that was like your basic chain combo. But then you could add uh, a light before a light punch before a light kick, as long as the med- the light kick went into medium kick heavy to continue the chain. Um, and this was a big deal because normally when you had to do a combo in a fighting game, it was literally like you doing a attack that had enough frame advantage or enough stun that would allow you to perform another move, which, you know, if some people don't know, that was actually an accidental thing that ended up being like a big deal in the street fighter series. Uh, but in this particular case, you could link your punches and kicks together in a sequence. And it was a beautiful thing to see because you're looking at these really large sprites that are beautifully animated with so much personality and it lended itself to the excitement and the dynamism of what uh, Jim Lee's X-Men comics were like. Um, it allowed Capcom to embody that energy in a lot of the poses, um, both for standing attacks and for air attacks, because the other interesting aspect about this was that air combos were introduced, um, yeah. something that was probably very foreign to the average American video game player, fighting game player, or uh, anybody that's into, like, cartoons or anything. Uh, whereas, you know, in a lot of anime, uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z existed already, Fist of the North Star existed. So fighting in the air was kind of a thing that was known for, you know, people that were, like, introduced to anime. Um, mm-hmm. But if you were not, uh, you know, somebody that was into anime, you know, it could have been, like, a new, fresh experience where you were like, oh, my goodness, like, I've never seen that before. That looks so cool that you can hit somebody so many times in the air. Um, The timing was pretty strict on it, but it was something that was there and it was very different and it created a different experience for a lot of players. So they they introduced um, super jumping, which did they like, I didn't actually know they had air combos. I thought it was just super jumps, but it's um, super jump into an air combo. Yeah. So basically it was really like at its bare bones. It was one of those things that you would see I don't want to say necessarily in only competitive play, but like, you know, maybe somebody that's a bit more nuanced, you'd see like in an arcade or a mall that was able to do an air combo. And it was a lot harder. Like typically now, I think when you do like a launcher, um, if you just push up, it automatically does a super jump for you. Um, Like the game kind of guides you where you need to go to like, you know, perform the combo on your opponent. But in X-Men Shows of the Atom, you, you had to manually. actually, you had to do it manually, and there were two ways that you could do it, and some characters benefited from one more so than the other. So the first method was to hit down and up, and that allowed you to do a super jump as opposed to like a regular jump. Um, and the other way to do it was to hit three kicks. Um, depending yep. on the character, uh, I think wasn't wasn't the the shortcut for dashing, uh, you know, horizontally was on the, the the two punches and to jump was on the two kicks I, I i think i remember that there was this uh these two shortcuts already or was it three yeah. i don't remember but yeah no, it, was it was already th- yeah you're right actually yeah it was three punch buttons for a dash yeah. and three kick buttons for a super jump yeah uh, it was uh it was already there so they thought about it you know <laughs> yeah they thought that like you know maybe this might be more beneficial um and for certain characters the way that their uh attacks lined up with their opponent in the air uh certain combos benefited from you doing three kicks instead of doing you know a super jump in terms of timing uh 
and it, it was fairly strict in terms of, well, I, I back up on, I'll say it appeared to be fairly strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more that you got used <laughs> to uh, a nuanced mechanic, you realized like how savage this game could become. <laughs> um, like, I don't know if we're going to go into that right now, but just on a basic level, uh, chain combos, dashing, um, I, I just want to clarify that James is like, oh, it appeared to be hard. It actually was hard. James is just very good. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were things that were discovered later that sort of, you know, played played upon the player as like, oh, this game is a lot more savage than we all perceived. But you know, we'll 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 get to that. Like I said, on a basic level, chain combos, dashing. And super jumping were new elements. None of these things were uh, in the Street Fighter series. When you jumped, that same space you were in was one screen. You know, mm-hmm. like I think, uh, I think in like in like Super Street Fighter Two, like you maybe had what like half of a screen on each side extra. Um, there wasn't really much space outside of like the initial background space that you're in. But in Children of the Atom, I think you had like an entire flying screen that was like the equivalent mm. of like two or three screens vertically. So it was yeah. like a lot more background space than what you were. It was almost like you were in a world. It felt like mm. uh, the same way that you feel that sense of depth when you're playing like uh, a beat up game where you're like, wow, I am in a city. I am in this vast uh, world like interacting. Um, and, you know, I think I mentioned it before, like, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing, I really enjoyed just doing super jumps and doing special moves in the air over and over because I just wanted to feel that sense of how high I was in the air. Because, yeah. um, again, these are things that were not a part of uh, the default Street Fighter experience. It was a very different uh, experience for anybody playing it, whether you were casual or competitive. So these elements were very new to, like... Uh, any fighting game and it had the x-men in it so yeah. <laughs> it's like you know that combination of things happening it's like the moment someone saw a sprite of juggernaut it didn't matter what game you were going to play before you ran over there to see that mm-hmm. um because it was just never seen before i mean I, I may have said this before in the previous podcast this was something that i dreamed of as a kid but never thought it would happen you know because i was kind of getting into anime around that time and I was just like, oh, man, it would be so cool if the X-Men were, like, in an anime or, like, there was an anime for the X-Men. or So seeing it was like playing an anime to me. Like, playing mm. arcade mode felt like playing an anime. Um, there's a, there's a, a same feeling today. Like, people, uh, when they saw the... the, the we, we've done a lot of podcasts about Guilty Gear, you know? And when they saw, like, Guilty Gear, the x and then Strive, they, everybody thought, oh, my God, I want to see insert favorite anime with this engine, you know? So this it's this kind of, uh, oh, it's not possible, but I think I want this, <laughs> actually. So uh, that's the, the bit of the same feeling, but, you know, inverted. Like, I want my video game from my series. Uh, like look like, I, I did want to want to like definitely back you up on. I, I feel like even even now, to me, this is still one of those games that's like one of those. Uh, this is exactly how you would imagine the comics would look come to life. Like, it's not yeah. even it's not missing the mark at all. Like, uh, I feel like you, even if, especially if you watch someone like Juggernaut, like that is 
100% on the mark how I would imagine an animated fighting like Juggernaut would feel and look like. Like, I feel like they just nailed the proportion and the style um, and the color and, like, the way that everything works together. I feel like even a lot of modern games, like, if you play, say, Marvel's Avengers, like, it's a really good game, but I don't know if it, like, really matches the headcanon style of what mm. things should feel, look and feel like. And I feel like, even so, the older games, like this game, uh, just, like, the, the Jim Lee style really... And the way that they executed it was so cohesive. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was such like a it's like a, it was like like the the most heartwarming punch in the face, you know, because <laughs> like X Men number one came out like a few years ago, like like at the time, like ninety one. So when this game came out, Jim Lee's style was like pronounced, and it was known. It was confident. It was something that drew people in to the x-men so capcom embodying that was a huge deal um you know and i've said this before like on previous podcasts uh you know jim lee's style despite how eastern influenced i am uh a huge impact and it still is to this day you know if you look at how i actually do things like it's still a bit of an homage to some of the uh ways that his shape language worked back in the 90s um and you know like i said capcom really took you know the took, took that thing by the horns man and like really pushed it in a way that was both unexpected but also something that was extremely <laughs> desirable uh to see i don't think any other company at that time uh would have been able to do something like that uh mm-hmm. and to be able to do it so confidently there's something I wanted to add regarding the gameplay mm-hmm. is that Storm has already has the eight-way dash in the hair in this episode, mm-hmm. which is something that is probably like you know a lot of games they have the they have the chain combo system because that's easier. They have you know big stage high jumps, all those you know ideas came. In other games, other type of games, like you, you can, for example, I jump in Street Fighter 4 with some characters or all Street Fighters with the characters. Uh, the, the stages, for example, going I, a lot of games like Guilty Gear, I already mentioned, they, they have also, you know, this real estate on the top of the stage that you barely see, but that is amazing and gives you an amazing sense of, uh, of space. But something that isn't in almost any other series is the fact that there's a character that can basically fly and that can dash in eight direction and that's something that is to me the most char- the most definitive characteristic of you know the the X-Men uh, series by Capcom because you don't see that in other games or if you see that that's not to the um, with the to the extent of Marvel doing it you know so Wanted to have that for people who, I don't know, only played maybe Marvel 3 and seeing, you know, Storm, Iron Man, all those characters, they they can fly. But, you know, it was already there in 1994 at the time where we we didn't have, like, double dashes and uh, super high jumps, something like that. These things were rare. And suddenly you can take Storm and fly. Like, that's, (laughs) that's not... That, yeah, uh, it's it's to... hard. It's it's hard to say how much this is unappreciated and uh, and how much is important. I was gonna say I, I, I wanted only... to add a related thought, uh, which is like 
Um, isn't it? It's also similar how this game had much bigger characters than I think we'd seen, like Sentinel, Juggernaut, you know, mm -hmm. even Colossus to some degree. I don't think they would have been able to kind of exist in the same space um, in the same way without, like, because how do you put a, a, a character like Sentinel on screen with a character like Storm, right? That's very true. Mm -hmm. um, like, how does that how does that even work? Like, if you were to put uh, Juggernaut in Super Turbo and he had, like, a super fast normal that would come out, it's like, you know, what can an opponent do? But also on the flip side, it's like, if Juggernaut was, like, toned down to Street Fighter 2 and he had to fight Vega, like, there's nothing he could do. Like, he's, he's hopeless. <laughs> like, there's nothing that he could do. So it's, yeah, it makes sense that they had to expand the, the spaces both vertically and, and horizontally in terms of, like, the background, um, like, in those games because... You know what? What could really happen in that that tight of a space? Um, you know, so I mean, it, it it's interesting how like something that simple can have like a like a drastic effect on um, you know how the game is played and how it just it's perceived on like a very very basic level. Um, you know, it's in the fact that she had an eight way air dash so early. Mm. Um, we've talked about overheads being a scary thing in fighting games. Yeah. Uh, but in this particular case, like, it's almost as if Storm was an evolved character for, like, what Marvel was going to become in later years. Yeah, um, that's, that's the announcement of things to come. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, 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 the Marvel 2 uh, Storm, uh, the, the, the flying characters like, um, like uh, oh, what's his name? Like Magneto in uh, in Marvel Three also, and Marvel Two. All these all these characters. I think the you know the the, the three dash, the triangle dash. Like they say, you you jump, yes. you jump, and then you you dash to the ground diagonally, and you do an overhead while you are descending. What we call the three dash characters. That's something you only find in Marvel. Like and at such a scale. Only in Marvel, and that's so savage <laughs> that it really you don't is. E you don't even know, you know, if you have to 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 go down to to guard down or not because probably the player doesn't know <laughs> where he's going to hit. And it's it's an actual <laughs> difficult thing to visually uh, yeah. catch. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, because again, we've talked about this before. Like, you know, Street Fighter Two, only a few people had overheads, and mm -hmm. that was a big deal because you know Street Fighter Two was a lot about zoning and spacing in a particular way that was like chess, you know, because that's what everybody says. But uh, can you explain what an overhead is in, in case uh, any of the oh, listeners? Oh, sure, are not... yeah, yeah. So an overhead attack is basically an attack that it it looks as if you would need to crouch to defend, like like the way that you would perceive the attack to be, but in actuality. In order for you to actually block it, you would need to stand up. Um, there's been certain games that have kind of expanded upon what that term is and what it means. Um, but it's basically a standing attack that you would need to react to the same way you would as like a jumping attack. Uh, which, in terms of blocking it, you would need to be standing in order to block it. Um, in Street Fighter 2 games, traditionally, there's only a few characters that have them. Uh, they come out pretty quickly. Um, and it was something that was a new element because normally you're just worried about blocking something that is perceived to be high, like a high-based attack, like your head area, shoulders, or you were trained to react to an attack that basically was low, like where your ankles are for your opponent. 
you know, and to have something that comes out that looks like it's going down, but you have to react to it as if it's like a standing attack. You know, that, that was a big deal. Um, I, I, I just want to expand on that a little bit. Sure. There, there's the whole uh, rock, paper, scissor element going on with the blocking mm -hmm. system in Street Fighter, right? So um, if you're standing and blocking high, someone can sweep you, right? If you're blocking low, someone can uh, jump kick you, right? Um, and, if, and if you're blocking, period, you can be thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then um, I think the overheads are sort of a, a way to do the equivalent of a jump kick from standing. Yes. Um, uh, because it's, it's very easy to turtle uh, in, in Street Fighter 2. Uh, because, you know, you can see a jump attack coming. You, you have a lot of time to prepare to stand up and block high. But when the person's already standing, it, it, it makes the mix-up like a lot more uh, complex. Yeah. Yeah, and to have someone creating that scenario on you over and over uh, <laughs> with, like, almost just impunity uh, because the hitbox is so huge and the frame data doesn't allow you to actually really attack. Um, it can be a scary situation to deal with. It can also be a fun thing to do, like, once you understand it. Um, and then Exponentials into the Atom was the beginning of people starting to uh expand upon like well what if i can actually implement these things in a confident fashion in a faster paced game um you know what could happen from that uh mm. and that is something that interestingly enough like i've i've been watching a lot of uh tournament play in this game in japan uh through mikado and gamespot versus and what's interesting is that you know, before Marvel 2, Chosen of the Atom, you saw certain things that were kind of like, I guess, like a hint to Marvel 2. But now, because people know all about like how these games work specifically, people have revisited Children of the Atom mm -hmm. and they're finding more things. And Children of the Atom, in a weird way, is starting to look like... Uh, a scarier version of Marvel versus Capcom 2. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, so people are going back to the older game and then yeah. using strategies from the newer one and then finding yes. they actually work in they the older work. one. So, so there's a few examples of this. Um, X-Men versus Street Fighter, uh, Magneto was, was fairly good and people knew how to play him. There was a really good American player named Joker that played Magneto in California. And he's like super good. Um, but what's interesting is that in Marvel 2, Magneto was also really strong. And there was a combo by, as far as I remember, it was discovered by a Japanese player named Rom. And it was an infinite that it incorporated his, his tri-dash, where you did a launcher, and then you immediately uh, dashed downwards. And you went into light kick, into medium kick, and then you super jumped very early and did his down light kick in the air and medium kick over and over. Um, come to find out, a few years later, this same combo is actually possible in X-Men versus Street Fighter, and in some cases it's actually scarier, because in X-Men versus Street Fighter, if you cancel one of his moves fast enough, it doesn't even require a launcher. He can actually <laughs> do this combo on a standing opponent 
meaning that they're not being juggled. He's just comboing them fast enough by canceling his air dash downward into this combo. Um, and as difficult as it might be, people were starting to figure it out. So you would see people actually doing this, um, you know, in matches. Uh, with Storm in X-Men's of the Atom, a lot of the mobility that you saw with her in Marvel 2, um, some of the combos that were in X-Men versus Street Fighter that you saw, they're going back and they're doing similar combos in Children of the Atom. And what's scary about that is Children of the Atom doesn't have like the most forgiving damage scaling. So a 20-30 hit combo, depending on like the nature of it, can actually almost kill you in Children of the Atom. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. that's kind of logical because you know we we um, I don't think we've talked about this in the in the podcast before but people are wondering like are the um, the games simpler or are the players you know more educated about about the games and that's mm. definitely the second well the second answer is very true because a lot of players now you know they they've played I know Dragon Ball they've played one X-Men game or one Marvel vs. Capcom game, one Guilty Gear game, and suddenly they can go back to the previous games, and the previous games are just, you know, the roots or foundations about the current games. So basically, if if they know a little bit of strategies to how to play their game, they can apply this to all the other previous game and all games they never touched before. So you can make discoveries in old games today, and that's super fun to witness. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, Yipes is still finding tech in Marvel vs. Capcom, too. Like, mm -hmm. he's finding uh, infinites that are incorporating uh, Storm's Tridash uh, in ways that weren't actually being done when Marvel 2 was, like, at its competitive peak. Uh, when you, it's, and this is something that I've always kind of felt about like fighting games, like you want things to be accessible, but you also want there to be, uh, a sense of an empty canvas where innovation can continue to happen. Yeah. Uh, I think that that makes uh, a fighting game actually have a lot more staying power. I mean, there's a reason that in 2020 people are still playing Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. There's a reason that people are still playing Third Strike or CBS2 or mm -hmm. whatever. It's because these games still, they had restrictions, but there's a certain level of innovation that can take place. And being able to see it kind of transcend between games and have people revisit games, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, if you haven't done it before, you know, I highly recommend looking up, uh, you know, GameSpot versus his YouTube channel or uh, Mikado Game Center's YouTube channel. Um, Mikado Game Center, I think the name is in Japanese on YouTube, but if you don't know how to type Japanese or you don't know Japanese, it's okay. You can find it. If you just type in M-I-K-A-D-O Game Center mm -hmm. and you put, like, whatever game you're looking for, because they play a lot of different games, you'll be able to find uh, tournaments uh, in these games. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't understand everything that's going on, um, seeing it is like a beautiful thing, man. Because one, it's direct feed. It's not like shaky cam or anything. Um, and you're seeing these beautiful sprites, but you're seeing people basically make art competitively <laughs> with uh, the, the way that they're controlling these characters, like some of the combos that you'll see. Um, you know, because I mean, we thought we understood it when people were playing it in America, 
And, you know, I would see, like, some busted combo where, like, Psychops can link dashing, crouching, light kicks over and over. And I'm like, oh, that's X-Men Chosen of the Atom. But then you watch a match where Storm takes you all the way across the screen and up the screen and down the screen and all around. And, you know, you're seeing stuff like this being done with Sentinel, you know, because Sentinel was, like, a big character in Marvel 2. But there's stuff that he's doing or it's doing that is similar in that game to Marvel 2. So there's like a lot of parallels that you can actually witness. And, uh, you know, if you find a circle of people who actually want to play this game, like uh, Mikado Game Center and GameSpot Versus is a good place to start in terms of like just seeing these things, you know, like like it's a rabbit hole. If you want to go down it, you can go down it. But, you know, I highly recommend it. Even if you want something cool to be in the background while you're doing your work or something, it's 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 beautiful. Uh, the commentator gets a little loud, though. I'm just going to let you know, like the... <laughs> The commentator for uh, Mikado Games and, and GameSpot, I think it's the same guy, uh, and he just goes to different ones, but he has a certain level of Japanese hype. Like, he's like, I don't know if I can say he's Japanese yipes, but he's uh, <laughs> he's definitely a lot more excitable than most uh, commentators. I think the only equivalent to yipes in Japan would be when Nuki used to commentate. Yeah, Nuki. Yeah. yeah, but I, again, I just think it's, if even if you don't understand, like, what's going on and you just want to see what the game looks like at high level uh watching those those tournaments are, are pretty good and they're relatively short i mean because people hit really hard in that game so you're probably going to watch for like two hours worth of footage nice oh man um i just want to uh rewind back a little uh, yep. and talk about um the presentation of the game a bit mm. uh, so you know we mm. on just how uh uh everything was just bigger in this game right like the stages are bigger you can super jump and i think a really important element is also like everyone's more powerful right like street fighter 2 was like somewhat grounded in reality you know you had like some supernatural moves but um you know the, the x-men is they, they, they're superheroes they all have like superpowers there's 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 no grounding in real martial arts even and like uh everything's ramped up and you like we, we touched on you have juggernaut who was like the biggest sprite anyone had ever seen in their lives <laughs> or, or yeah, sentinel yeah. The biggest playable character anyone had ever seen and then storm can dash around and um you know omega red had like attacks like that would fill the screen you just had to block like if you weren't blocking he would hit you from anywhere mm -hmm. right uh, so, which also, you know, worked into the gameplay with the expansive, like, stages and the dashing. And um, and then Cyclops, when he when he does his super, that's not even X-Men. That's straight up Dragon Ball. Like, yeah. Hitting, yeah. Man, man. Eye, like, everything was just ramped up to, to 11, you know? That's like, something very interesting. Do you remember how that felt? Like, playing so, it for the first time? Oh. Oh my god! I think I think the first time I saw them because I, I didn't have access to the games at the time was when I got Dreamcast uh, around ninety eight, ninety nine, and after that, Marvel vs. Capcom two came out uh, on Dreamcast, and uh, and I remember you know taking Ryu and uh, doing the the Shinku Adoken, and suddenly the Shinku Adoken is basically a Kamehameha. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after that, you go back, you know, to other characters, to the the X Men characters, and the the, the effect is incredible. But I I don't think you could, 
I don't think uh, um, um, you know uh, an American company would have gone so, uh, this far in you know um, in presentation and access. Basically, if you look, for example, today at the other series of superhero fighting game, which is Injustice by the guys that do uh, Mortal Kombat, they, oh. they have a kind. You, you know, they, they have Superman. They have people doing fires and things like that. And it's when you look at it, it feels milled. You know, yeah. it feels it feels a bit, I don't know, modest. You're like, okay, yeah. I'm I'm playing with these superhero characters and the this, this guy that does fires basically is just, you know, throwing a a, a tennis ball of fire. And on the <laughs> other side, you take for take a for a more recent example, you take Dormammu. In Marvel 3, you you press quadricycle forward two buttons. The guy makes a pillar of flames. Like you know, he has the the position uh, with the hands wide apart, like a, a karateka, like a, a martial artist. And basically, the flames are taller than him, and it takes full screen. And I always felt that it was something so Capcom and so Japanese at the same time that you will not find this. Uh, in any other game and um, and in any game at, of this period that was not influenced by anime or precisely more like uh, you know robot anime or Dragon Ball or things like that. Really, really. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's very you, true. You, you want to get into a tangent? <laughs> yeah, that's I'm good. all about that. I mean, that's okay. Tangents so my we, we talked about obviously Jim Lee's X Men is the biggest influence on this game. It was the best selling Marvel comic ever at the time. But I think Capcom was also hugely influenced by uh, Dragon Ball and Hokuto no Ken when when doing this game. Because um, mm. Dragon Ball was the biggest comic in Japan and and the world at the time. Uh, and and uh, there's even a quote where Akiman says Dragon Ball was required reading at Capcom. And I think also, uh, yeah, Dragon Ball influenced like the way that they drew muscles a bit too, because because this is when Capcom was really starting to like really perfect their stylish, you know, way to do muscles that was very distinct from anything else. Like it wasn't anime, wasn't American comics. It was it was Capcom. Yeah, yeah. there's bits and pieces like Dragon Ball and Okuto no Ken, especially in the sound design. I know I know James can talk about oh, that. Oh my gosh, so. Yeah. Masanori Honda is, uh, like, I feel like, sonically, this person's my father. Because yeah. uh, one of the things when I got into anime that really got me outside of the visuals that really, like, ensnared me was the sound design. Because the, I guess the, for lack of a better explanation, the sonic language of, or audible language of sound in anime in terms of design was just completely different from anything else that I had seen or heard. Um, I think the closest thing to uh, sounds that I heard from like, I guess, American or like non-Japanese, uh, you know, sound design that I thought was really cool was the way that hit sounded in like Shaw Brothers films. Um, and mm. outside of that, uh, I think there used to be much stronger earthy sounds for gunshots in like, American cop dramas, um, and I enjoyed that. But like in terms of like an, an entire experience, um, anime really drew me in with its sound design. Whenever something metallic hit the ground, whenever something uh, like a robotic component combined with something, uh, when someone jumped, 
uh, when someone fell down. All of these things were done in a specific way to really uh, grasp the viewer's uh, yeah. attention. And yeah. the same parallels were done in X-Men, Children of the Atom. Mm -hmm. um, there's a sound identity, actually, which is something that was not that common in games at the time, but very common in anime, because I think we all, all of us, while watching Dragon Ball Z, we all can, if I say it to you, you're going to hear it in your head. The sound, you know, of the, the Super Saiyan transformation, like when there's, they are yellow in the anime, you know, the... Oh, the Yeah. You see yeah. this thing, you, you've all heard it, and all the listeners too. <laughs> no. yeah. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. Also, the, the way, you know, they jump the... The, 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 the sound they make yeah, when they yeah. jump, all those things that there were things you will not hear in um, uh, US anime cart or cartoons or things like that, but you hear in all all anime at the time. Yeah, like they were they were all like particular uh, you know sound cues that yeah, yeah. basically, if you had seen anime, you were already familiar with them, but you'd mm -hmm. never heard them in an arcade. So hearing those sounds in an arcade it was like oh my god like anime is here anime has logged into the chat like like that's how it felt to me um <laughs> and you know one of the things that like really uh like got me was hearing it in something that i could control uh being able to like move around and like hear that sound and feel that sound because you're controlling it because in an anime you know for me, like if I saw a cool scene where like the timing of something was cool and the sound design was really cool, I would rewind it and experience it, but I never controlled it. Yeah. So being able to control the fact that you would hear that sound of like someone jumping in the air, uh, you know, that you hear in anime or to hear that sound of like, you know, fighting against Silver Samurai and making him block and hearing that sound of his sword clanging that sounds similar to something that you would hear like in an anime or, you know, hearing Sentinel move at all in his idol animation. He literally has, like, there's a whole lexicon of, like, sounds that are made specifically for robots in anime. And Sentinel mm -hmm. had all of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Sentinel was, like, an yeah. entire mecha series by himself in terms of sound design. Um, and the game embodies this feeling uh, entirely. And to see it with uh, Western characters was just yes. unheard of. <laughs> like, you know, like, like it's the whole idea that, like, I felt like Cyclops could be in Giant Robo, you know, and have his own yeah. signature mega optic blast special move that he says, you know, because he doesn't say mega optic blast in uh, the, the comics. Yeah, but yeah, it, of course. It, it, but it felt signature it felt correct to experience that uh in children of the atom and um you know, another side note i as far as i remember masanori honda also did sound design i believe for project echo um Ooh. so there's a lot of like parallels to that and me being a big fan of the absurdity that is that anime um or at least the first uh, the first one um Knowing how nuanced his approach to that show was, or the movie or OVA was, uh, to have that kind of approach done with the X Men is like just fantastic. Like that is like, 
like again, it goes back to the whole thing of like you didn't think that this would be possible, but then you're seeing the dream being realized, like mm-hmm. on an arcade screen. Uh, it was a it's a wonderful experience. The sound design in this game is like still bar none. I think it's still better than like even some of the later entries. Mm-hmm. Like I think yeah. It's more. I think it. The the game overall feels more gritty. I don't know if that's the the word in English, but you know, it has um, it it has a, an identity, an uncompromised identity. I think very very good or something like that. But yeah, the the what you said about control is super important because if you if you go play back Street Fighter Two, uh, in even even Super Turbo today, it's cool. It's a cool game. But you you don't feel that much actually because the games have been have become so better now at having sound and effects and uh, you know just hit stops and sparks effect and thing like that and this game the fact that uh, it's one of the first games I feel where the excess you can feel the excess while you are controlling and you can reproduce it like if you like I don't know the, the the sound of your character just dashing, you can do it again and again and again and say, it feels good, actually. (laughs) You see, and that's something, you know, feeling good is something that is often um, forgotten, I think, in in the appreciation of fighting games because because everyone is talking about balance and uh, and gameplay mechanics and uh, things like that. And they will say, oh, but uh, the the game didn't have success because it's too complicated or uh, there's not enough characters or things like that. But the thing that makes you want to continue playing first and foremost, it's the feeling you get when you do the basic things, dashing, flying, punching, things like that. If it feels good, you want to go back and play it, basically. And after that, you, you will learn the gameplay mechanics and things like that. But uh, yeah. And I think yeah. that this game... That's the absolute most important thing about any video game, is just the feeling of it. It just mm-hmm. has to feel good. It's at the most basic level. Like That's mm-hmm. number one priority. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I when I first played X-Men Chosen of the Atom, like before I started understanding the, the intricacies of the game, the funnest stuff to do was to super jump. Yeah. <laughs> and just do yeah. special moves. Like, like I of think I, rem- I remember, I would just do Psyblade like with Psylocke because it was just such a cool looking movement. Like it was like someone said, okay, we're going to take a dragon punch, but we're going to uh, combine the circular motion or movement of like the hurricane kick and it's like you see her whole body spin and it's just like that's cool like you and you've got these like jack kirby-esque jim lee particle effects around her like it just felt good to do it didn't matter if it was like negative whatever on block or whatever it was like it just felt good to see it yeah uh Sometimes I would get to Juggernaut and not even fight him. I just wanted him to grab a part of the stage just so I could see <laughs> him do it. And that's putting me in a negative situation because he can hit me even for more damage because he's hitting me with like a metal eye beam or whatever. But just to see it and feel that experience, it felt like I was in an episode of the X-Men. 
Uh, there's a there's a good example I think uh, that's in the in the news. You've seen maybe that uh, Guilty Gear Accentcore got an update for its netcode, and so a lot of people that played Xrd or are waiting for Strive. They they, they use the the Steam sales to get the game at three bucks and uh, trying it, you know. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I saw a lot of memes about uh, Soul Bad Guy um, Ground Viper. You know, because the the ground viper in this game, it, it slides on the ground and it goes, it, it there's a, I don't know, a very loud sound when he when he's on the ground, oh, yeah. and at the end he's not doing a dragon punch in this version. He, he he pummels you, you know, with his with his punch, with his fist, and it goes a splash. <laughs> so that is very loud and i saw like you know sound charts with you know the concord and uh, the, the sound bang uh, you know and the, <laughs> there is the the vulcan the ground viper at the top and people talked about it like oh my god it's way too loud it's 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 over the top oh. but the fact that they felt it you know guilty gear that the old episodes they were a very um noisy type of game yes. with, the, with the effect because you had to, you know, make better sound, more recognizable sound than the next cabinet that was uh, on your right or left. And uh, like the, the X-Men game, it's the, it's the birth also of this, you know, this excessive sound design that that's amazing and the excessive presentation. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I'm one of those people that I actually enjoy that sound a lot. Um, <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> like I, because I remember like that sound, at least the beginnings of what that sound represents existed in uh, X Men versus Street Fighter, but it wasn't something that I think was intentional. It was something that you found out that you could do on the home version because I don't, I think you could do it in the arcade, but it was kind of harder. So I had the Japanese version of. Uh, X-Men vs. Street Fighter for Sega Saturn. And when you beat the game, you could play as your, the same character. Normally in arcade mode, you would have to... Like, if I wanted Gambit, i pick Gambit, but i have to pick someone other than Gambit because I already picked them. But in the console version, when you beat the game, it allows you to do some things you can't do in the arcade, which is pick the same character. So I'll pick Gambit, Gambit. You know, I remember this like it was yesterday. And I was like, man, this is cool. I love Gambit. You know, like, oh, I get to play two Gambits. It's fun. <laughs> so... Double the Gambits. <laughs> so I did... Their team super and Gambit in X Men versus Street Fighter only has one super. No, wait, he I think he does have Cajun Explosion in uh, in that game. No, 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 that's a Marvel one. So he has Royal Flesh where he just throws a bunch of he throws uh, a bunch of cards at you uh, with kinetic energy and the overlapping of these attacks. You know, it's pretty it's pretty dense. Like you feel the the impact of you know, what that is, right? You're like, okay, that's cool. So when you pick two gambits, well, <laughs> the game starts to lose its inter- integral structure and the sounds overlap in a way that actually sounds like a glitch. And, yeah, I see what you mean. And it, 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 when I first heard it, you know, I was laughing because I was like, this is insane, right? But it's something that actually really upped the ante of the feeling. It's like, well, they are throwing 74 cards at you. Like, <laughs> and they're full of kinetic energy and they're overlapping each other. So those sounds being played over and over, it creates a new sound. 
Um, mm-hmm. And me and my friends used to play around with it because you got to remember this game was on a RAM cart. So this game was already like needing help and the RAM cart was helping it. But like this game had a lot of animation. There's a lot of stuff going on in it. So you pick two gambits and someone picks like, I don't know, two, like, like two more gambits. Like the game starts <laughs> to freak out. So it has this overlapping sound that almost sounds like the game is vibrating. And it, it was like this sort of like, wow, that's really intense. Like that's a lot of like energy that you're dealing with from a character. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm a weirdo. Like this is just something super, super specific. Like I'm not going to like <laughs> experience this again. But then when I played Guilty Gear and I heard Soul do that, I was like, I felt chills up my spine. Like, oh my God, that feeling is back. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, this game is full of mayhem. And then, you know, Justice, you know, being the OP character that, you know, they are, they have a similar sound for some of their moves. Yeah. Um, but, like, to me, that kind of brings a particular type of dynamism to the experience because feeling sound design, like, feeling what it feels like to be hit with an attack or whatever, like, that also, like, really increases the experience for the player. Uh, and I think X-Men Children of the Atom like really uh, takes that to a level that was really that wasn't even presented before um, you know it's like when you felt an attack it, it felt brutal but still yeah. cool and stylish you know like it, 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 it still felt like this was like a very cool acceptable like uh, you know thing so it, it's it's again it's a testament to a lot of the hard work that went into it. And again, this is stuff that was unparalleled. I mean, the fact that soul has it, like it wouldn't have happened if like these games didn't exist. You know, I'm sure someone at Capcom picked two gamuts and we're like, yo, what does that sound like? Like, (laughs) like, it's just, (laughs) it's, it's something that to me, it felt like it was like, Oh my God, like it's the, that was the beginning of what that was. It could, it could, and it could have been serendipitous. It could have been unintentional, but to me, like things like that are, uh, very integral to the experience of like playing uh, a game and enjoying it. Like uh, Omega Reds, Omega Destroyer, like, you know, when you hear that vibrating sound with each attack that it's like hitting you over and over and the screen's flashing with a big X on it. It's just like, this, this is punishment. This is pain. This is like, (laughs) you know, and again, it just makes you really feel the uh, intensity of like attacks and what people do. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, I, I never really thought about it, like, to this extent, how important this game was for just sound design in games. Like, what a hallmark it was. Because 1994, um, that was, like, just uh, December 94 is when the PlayStation came out. That was the first major, yeah. like, super popular CD-based system. We were just starting to get into, like, full voice acting and digitized sounds in games. And they were generally pretty primitive. Like, even if you look at the first uh, Resident Evil or something, like it's, yeah, the, the sounds. Uh, uh, no, that actually had really good sound design. But it's like X Men was actually much more sophisticated. It was much more subtle, and and yet like super over the top at the same time. And it, you, you could still, you know, you could say, I think. Do you think it's fair to say it set the stage for say something like Smash? Yeah. Sound wise, sonically. Yeah, because yeah. I think that the sound design in Smash is something that benefits from its bombastic, like, uh, presentation. Like, you know, even if you don't understand what's going on in the game, like, 
you can tell when somebody's getting the crap beaten out of them just by hearing yeah. it. You're like, oh my god, like that sounds disgusting. Like, and in a in a in a, in a stylish, fun, family friendly way, yeah. which is a hard thing to do. Like to make that not be too guttural or too like terrifying for like a younger kid. Like it's still fun, but it still is very impactful. Uh, that's yeah. that's the the sound you know of the the cliche sound of the baseball bat that oh. that makes that does a home run you know in in Smash Bros when you you do a smash attack and you eject someone that's yes. that's directly you know coming from those uh, uh, over the top games like X Men should run if you yeah yeah like it's 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 something that affected probably more than we think. Like there's probably other games that have been uh, affected by the approach to uh, you know sound design. Like in this game, like there's so many. Like if you can um, find a sound test for this game and just go through it, because there might be sounds that you don't even know you're hearing. Like, yeah, like that's like one of the things that I learned is like, man, there's so many different sound cues that might go over your head, but are important to like the combination of like voice and sound, uh, because that like really makes or it makes or breaks the impact of of something. I mean, if you think about it, right? I, I still uh, get PTSD from the Sentinel sounds. The, yes, uh, <laughs> the kind of like rotor rocket punch ones. Yes. Uh, Yes. I don't. I don't know. I, I think. Uh, I don't think it's um, the first game to to do this, but I I feel like uh, for some reason in my memory, Marvel games uh, tend to have more instances of sounds combining to sound really like it's gonna sound weird, but sounding really funny, like where uh, because of the way they say everything, you get yeah. like a, a perfectly timed like uh, like hit, and then one of the characters being like ah. And it just like uh, the the I think the amount of times that uh, we just broke down laughing at something that happened in Marvel because of how the sound cues come together, yeah, uh, super entertaining. Well, we we yeah. talked we talked with uh, James about you know the importance of uh, Salt Bad Guy saying Taraki Taraki when yes. he's doing the, yes. the the dust loop. You know, that's the, that, that's the same. And actually, I think the most recent entries like Street Fighter and things like that, they lack the goofiness. A little yes. bit, you know. When when Street Fighter Five came out, you know, there was the um, this character named Rashid, who is a bit plain looking, looking, but he has a team like with a with a techno team that is terrible. But inside, there's this guy singing Rashido, yes. and everybody went bananas with this, and <laughs> yeah. that that's a bit. What's lacking, I think, and and why you you remember this game? Like if you play Sentinel, you're like Rocket Punch, Rocket Punch. So one of the things that like because it's funny you guys brought up Sentinel again, right? Like for a long time, I didn't know he was saying damage when he was getting hit because the sound bite of him saying damage over and over it just overlaps into itself. And you're hearing music, you're hearing all these other sounds kind of like, you know, being like just pushed together, like in that experience. And like one of my friends and uh, including myself, we thought he was saying Evans. Like we thought there was someone piloting Sentinel named Evans. And like <laughs> we thought he was saying Evans over and over. Like instead of damage, damage, we thought it was Evans, Evans, like because <laughs> because of just the way that like things kind of contrapolate together. 
Um, or extrapolate, rather. Uh, can, we, can we talk about how everybody used to think that Iceman was saying ice cream instead of ice cream? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, these were things that were, like, part of the experience. They're obviously unintentional, but it was fun. Like, uh, like one of my friends thought Berserker Barrage was, like, I like my I like my peppers raw. <laughs> like and I was like, what? I was like, no, bro, it's Wolverine. He's saying Berserker Barrage. Like he was like, it sounds like he's saying I like my peppers raw. Like he thought yeah. Tatsumaki Senpukaku was I wasted millions. Uh, <laughs> like Miss Earth lyrics are so fun. Very, very fun. I know, right? Like, uh, for, for example, Jam in Guilty Gear, she says, uh, when she's doing, you know, the ball, like, um, the power ball, she, she says something like, uh, champagne chichon, something like that. And in French, it sounds like, I don't like weed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a spammable move, so <laughs> I don't like weed, I don't like weed, I don't like weed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, this, is, this is just part of, like, people's collective experience man like there was a guy who thought sagat was saying fiber instead of tiger like uh <laughs> yeah like i mean but these are again this is just like the way that people uh take in certain things man like and it's just it's it's an accidental thing but it's really fun but it's still part of uh the collective experience i mean like i don't know if you guys have experienced this but like in arcades like when people used to go to them back in the Elder Scroll days, like, um, you know, sometimes you would see people watching and they would see a character say a move, but they would say the move and they're not playing. They're just <laughs> watching. But like, it's something about the feeling of like, that expression that that character is doing, like it becomes visceral for like, well, yeah, the other player. I think that's impactful about a game like this. Like, I don't remember older fighting games being like this, but like, you can basically follow what's going on without watching. Like, you could be listening, yeah. uh, and you can like at least for especially for this in Marvel One, you can really for the most part tell which characters are fighting, and you can to some degree yeah. if you know the moves well enough. Especially with uh, certain characters, like you can generally follow what Psylocke is doing just by the sound she's making, right? Oh yeah. Um, I don't like I said I don't think that they that they didn't have this in other games, but it, you're, to your point, it's kind of like the layering of the sounds and how distinct they are per character. Uh, like each kind of move has a certain combination of them. So uh, I actually tried this out the the other day because uh, I was like working and I was listening to it, and I found that I for the most part could actually follow not just like who was fighting, but like the moves all sound distinct enough, and like you get a feel for which combos happen after which things, so you kind of know what's happening, uh, which is pretty impressive from a sound design perspective. Yeah, because everyone's heavy, heavy attacks sound different for different reasons. Like, uh, like Cyclops' like heavy punch is like, it's a, I guess the best way to describe it, it's like a Jolly Rancher of laser, like, coming at your opponent. So, like, that has, like, uh, a particular sound is, like, energy hitting and dissipating from you. It's similar to, like, the vibrating feeling that uh, the carbonadium coils have, but then Psylocke's uh, Fierce is a combination of her Psy energy hitting you and like what the typical Fierce Punch sound is. But having those combined makes a different experience sonically for the player. Um, you know, it, it, it's like uh, Spiral's Fierce Punch sounds different than Psylocke's, like for different reasons. Cause she's hitting you just with her fist. There's no energy 
Um, and these are things that you can follow. Uh, and then the other thing too, which again, this is like small, like subtle stuff. The fact that there are certain grunts with attacks yep. that are specifically yeah. set. Um, and they stopped doing that. They started giving like default sounds that kind of rotate, which I kind of don't like anymore. But uh, if you hear, uh, I don't know, War Machine or, or Wolverine do a combo, like you know what normals they are based on the grunts and the sounds that Wolverine is making. Um, and I think on some level, like that actually helped me learn combos in terms yeah. of timing. Like that actually helped me like learn like how to do like uh <laughs> iron man is a really good example in marvel 2 you know because he has an infinite that everyone knows about now um where you know he's doing like four hits but those sounds are very specific to those hits so if you can't listen to the hits you can listen to the sound of iron man doing those attacks to learn the timing. So it has a lot of different purposes. Like it's that's, not, it's there's a purpose that we, we don't uh, use a lot for us, but um, there's a lot of blind people actually playing fighting games, which may sound weird, but if you do uh, like modern games, they do um, sound specialization very good. Like if you are in the right corner, for example, all the sounds of the two characters are in your right here. And, Vice versa. If you are on the middle of the stage, the the, um, the two characters sound, you know, um, equally distant in your in both your ears. And uh, like you said, the fact that there's a sound for each strike, each uh, and each special move, it helps actually playing fighting games while being blind, which is super important in um, and super amazing when you think about it, because that's yeah. the last, you know, type of game. We, it's so fast, but there are there are a lot of players that are very, very talented and that can, that can crush you and me. Well, maybe not James, but uh, <laughs> you you and me um, just by hearing the game. So uh, that's that's something we don't think about, but that's also very important. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like if you hear. Like, every combo that Storm does, you know that's a Storm combo. Like, outside of, like, Catherine Smith's uh, impeccable voice talent for Storm, they all have spark sounds or electricity or wind. Like, you know, all these other things are incorporated in a specific way that, like, you know that sound. And honestly, it's a really interesting uh, sonic experience. Like, sometimes when I'm drawing and I'm listening to... Uh, or watching these tournaments and stuff, and I hear these combos, it kind of becomes music to me. Uh, especially because the combos are so long in Children of the Atom. Like, it's almost as if someone is playing, like, a song, like, when they're doing combos. So it's, a, it's an interesting collection of sounds making music sometimes. Uh, like I said, I highly recommend, like, you know, even if you're not big into fighting games, just listen to them. Just... <laughs> Just be like, you know, and I mean, you, what better time? I mean, we're all locked down and stuff like, you know, you've got hours to do stuff like just listen to like a match of like this game, like especially uh, if you're watching um, GameSpot versus uh, Children of the Atom tournaments, there's a player named Momoten with Storm who's impeccable. Like he is just an amazing player. And uh, 
he does concerts on people's faces. And it's just kind of, <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing. And, you know, he's, like, super humble about it. Because they usually, uh, they interview the winner of tournaments at the end. And, like, you know, I was listening to the last one. And, you know, he was just kind of talking about, like, how Storm works. And, like, you know, how she's able to do what she does. And, like, but he was, like, super humble about it. He's like, oh, you know, I, I use this because this is why this works. And, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about, like, a particular way that Storm can actually like have invulnerability on her dash, which is completely like disgusting. But um, you know, but he's a really good player. Uh, there's a lot of really talented people playing these games. Um, off the top of my head, uh, Harimich uh, plays a really, really good Iceman, uh, and Dorenki plays a really good Wolverine. Uh, YSK, Bradian. There's a lot of really good players, so you'll see people playing different characters. I mean, there's an extremely cemented tier list, but everyone has something in this game. Uh, Colossus, Silver Samurai, like, it doesn't matter. Everybody in this game, there's no Dan Hibiki, I'll put it that way. There's no, there's no like, bottom-tiered <laughs> character. Well, I don't want to say bottom-tier, because there's always going to be someone that's bottom-tier, but there's something special that you can experience with every character in the game. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, you you just brought up Colossus. I just remembered. Uh, is is this the first game with super armor in a fighting game? Actually, yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. And oh my god, that was his X Factor level two uh, thing that he could do is that he could give himself super armor. So the can, way that can you explain what super armor is for for the listeners? Right. So typically in a fighting game. Uh, when you get hit or you block something, uh, you either have hit stun or block stun or, I guess, real stun. So there's a particular type of math that happens when you hit somebody that allows you to finish a combo, right? So for a basic example, you could say a low-medium kick into fireball, right? Like if you're playing Ryu for whatever reason and he's fighting a super-armored character. Normally, the low-forward causes enough real stun that allows the fireball to not just come out, but to hit the opponent for a two-hit combo. So when someone has super armor, the math of what happens when the low forward comes out is not the same. It's as if it's overridden entirely, where the person doesn't have hit stun, they're basically functioning as if they've not been hit. So when they do the fireball, it's not going to be a two-hit combo. And depending on how smart this player is with super armor with Colossus, they could just decide, hey, I've already done the input for a command grab. So the command grab is going to eat the low forward or low medium kick. And the fireball might not even come out. And then you're being tossed around. That's so, super important. That's super important because we are talking about excess you know, excessive sound, excessive design, excessive uh, muscles, excessive everything. And suddenly, there's this type of character that doesn't give a shit what button <laughs> yeah. you're pressing. is like, no, I'm right. You know, I'm it's right. Like, I'm correct. It is my turn. Like... Yeah. You, and at the time, you know, characters with super armor, they, they were not common. It, uh, nowadays, it's common to think that when you're making a fighting game, you're going to add um, a character that has high risk, high reward, and that doesn't 
play the game, you know, in right. some in some way. Like, um, okay, you are doing perfect footsies and you eat me, but hey, I've got super armor, so I eat you, you know. And uh, all games yeah. have have this kind now of characters, and sometimes it's even um, a mechanic. Like all characters have a super armor move, like the the focus attack in Street Fighter Four, the the um, the power crush moves in Tekken Seven, things like that. But it was new. It's something you didn't have before, too. Maybe some characters had it, but if you take Street Fighter 2 as an example, the most beefy character you could have was like T-Hawk or Zangief, and they can go um, through fireballs, for example, but, but they cannot say, okay, uh, you hit me, but it doesn't count because I'm big and or fat <laughs> or strong, and actually that I win. <laughs> so that that's the kind of characters I love to play. Not not for a long time, but when I want, you know, to jump into a game and I don't know which character to play. If I, you know, want to have fun or piss off my opponent like James does all the time, uh, <laughs> you take these characters and oh, every time, every time you're going to have a rage a rage message behind like a, you're a scrub. You abuse the moves. The, the <laughs> well, you know what I, I what I think is interesting about it is, is that it it causes the player to uh, to think differently. Yeah. Like, because on one side you've got a person who's like, oh, I don't even have to play the game. I can do what I want, and that's a separate yes. experience, right? But then you think to yourself, wait a minute, if doing combos is what normally works for everyone else, and I can't do this on him or her or whatever the character is or player. It makes you say, okay, well, they can't always absorb hits unless I'm doing isolated attacks that are as much damage as possible. So now you're starting to think, okay, well, what do I have in my arsenal that can counteract this, right? It's like, well, you know, if I'm, uh, like, I don't know, if I'm Storm, right? Like, well, I'm not going to rush you down with combo pressure or anything. I'm just going to run away from you and I'm going to do columns of wind that yeah. you can't grab and spin around, right? You have to just take the hits. So then it becomes like, how do I uh, deal with this particular problem? So it becomes a different layer of like problem solving, which it, it, it increases replay value. I, I just want to add like, when, when, when you, what, what you just described, that is what would go through Storm's mind. If, right, you know, in the comics, if she was faced with the juggernaut, and you're like, wait, like, my attacks just glance off of this guy. Like, how do I fight this guy? You know, like, it's actually recreating that feeling in the yeah. gameplay, like, not in a cinematic, not with dialogue, but, like, in the actual psychology of the, the, the game. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, you, you, you play the game, and you're like, okay, that's a normal reaction, actually. Which is super great because the the characters what is we we talked about the characters but from a gameplay perspective they are all very different and they all are very you know they, they all have their type of gameplay that fits their character design or characteristics and uh, and that's super great because in some games for example if you take the recent Dragon Ball Fighter Z like. There's way too many Gokus inside this game, but even outside this, 
all the characters, you know, they have kind of similar powers. Like one of them yeah. will do a better Kamehameha than the other, but they all do key blast and, and beams and uh, hits and things like that. And you're like, okay, but you know, where's the, 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 the character that is uh, three times taller than the others and he doesn't give a crap about what you do <laughs> or where is the character that is actually small? Well, there is there is a Goku GT, so that's a bad example. Right. <laughs> but you, you see what I mean? That's one of the, 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 the main drawbacks of the games, that characters are a bit too common. But if you take another game from almost the same period, like Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite or 3, no characters are the same and they feel logical. You can take a character like, uh, I don't know, Spencer from, you know... Um, from the series um oh. bionic commando yeah bionic commando like oh are you even going to make a character like that hype you know or personal well right. he has you know he has a hook and that's all and suddenly they managed to do something super great that's very uh, a capcom type of craft that you don't see in many other companies and even in games like snk or things like that companies like snk or arc system works you know it's it takes so much skill and intelligence to be able and source material and understanding of the source material to say, okay, we're going to base Storm on a on a on a escape character. We're going to put this character and we're going to invent a gameplay mechanic for these characters. That's something that is that was very that was not common at the time no. at the time yeah we, we were still thinking like well outside maybe of dark stalkers but most people were thinking about fighting games as um karateka movies games yep. you know yep. so everyone was limited by the capabilities of the human form and what we talked about in during the the dark stalkers episode is that how capcom hesitated to make something else than Street Fighter 2. But when they started doing it, there were it was almost like a Lego trip. Like, okay, you're all doing those karate things and tournament things and things like that. We're going to make like Darkstalkers. We're going to make X-Men. And they do it in a way that others will not be capable of, you know, do because they just went way more, way too far compared to the uh, to the um, um, to their opponents yeah so that's super important <laughs> oh my god oh we, we haven't talked talking about access richmond you talked about it before or was it shown there's akuma in this game <laughs> 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 we oh, haven't yes, about yes. yes, but oh. there's the freaking Akuma in this game. Like the more excessive character from Street Fighter 2 is in the new excessive game from the creators of Street Fighter 2. <laughs> I, I believe it's actually the same sprite from Street yes. Fighter 2 Turbo. Yes, it is. From Turbo, yeah. But that, that's crazy when you think about it because, you know, Akuma is so overpowered in Street Fighter 2 Turbo that it's, it's banned in tournaments, you know. And the band character fits in a game <laughs> with other characters. Like suddenly we found this game series that fits him, that you know has the power level of him. It's like when you take a character and literally one move alone makes him break the whole game. It's like, 
You have to make a game for you him. Have to, you have to make a game surrounding him that makes sense. Like, <laughs> like and, and, and that is insane in and of itself. But the fact that they were able to be like, oh, you know what? Nah, he fits right here. Right here. Like, he, right yeah. here, he's fine. <laughs> he's not imbalanced. He's just a character. Right. Well, don't don't okay. shunt I I just want to say real quick. So I I think that's sort of really emblematic of how we really arrived at X Men, right? Because because Street Fighter Two um, only came out in 1991, but the 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 games just the the audience and the games evolved very quickly. So three years later, you know, we we do have a character like Akuma. And the, uh, the people do want something more, and the audience is more sophisticated. And um, he was the most powerful character in that game. And like X Men, that really was the starting point. And he even actually has unused sprites from uh, uh, Super Super Street Fighter Two that 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 they did use in Children of the Atom. If you if you go to um, uh, the the cutting room floor, you know that website that documents like stuff that uh, was left out of games. They dig through the ROMs. You'll see, um, yeah, like in Super Turbo, he has stuff that they 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 were like, oh no, that's too much. Wow, I didn't and then know they that. Were actually able <laughs> to do that in, uh, in 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 Children of Adam. It's like wow, I didn't know that because the only thing I knew of was that they were gonna put the developer of MVC one in the game. But they just didn't, and there's like assets of his sprite. But I didn't know that like Akuma actually had like moves that they were just like, nah, this is too hot for TV. Like, it's just like, no, we can't. It's pretty subtle. It's just like a couple frames here that were like, just I don't know for for whatever reason they're like, nah, that doesn't match Street Fighter. But but they were able to use him and kill him. Awesome. Yeah. I I do want to add. I I wonder if um. Part of this had to do with uh, Capcom understanding their popularity because I, I believe uh, inclusion of Akuma was something that Capcom required in order to work on uh, the Marvel title. Um, I don't obviously I don't know if any of the tweets covered this, but I, I definitely read that somewhere that um, they weren't just like oh let's randomly put Akuma in here for no reason. They did require at least a Street Fighter character, and I think all the things that Richmond just talked about explain why Akuma was the right pick. But uh, I think they that was still something that was part of. Uh, Capcom's understanding of how the franchise might go. Oh my god, you're right. It, literally in the first one, it's already a Street Fighter, it's already a Capcom versus Marvel scenario in that it, first game. I, I never yeah, it, it makes me think that they, they had this crossover thing in mind the whole time. Wow. That was their true goal, I think. Actually, it's, it's hard to know. I don't, I, don't know the, I don't know the detailed history of it. I just know that uh, it was definitely something that was required from Capcom. And like I said, I, I do think that to give them credit for it, it was probably something where they wanted to potentially test out the styles or uh, see if like that was something that could work without really, you know, taking the risk to put out an X-Men versus Street Fighter game or a Marvel versus Capcom game. Uh, well, there's something to know also about this period is that at the time, crossovers were starting to become popular. Like, if we are in 1904, that's the year The King of Fighters came out. And uh, The King of Fighters is basically the, the, um, a crossover of all SNK series, you know. And uh, so that was something that was starting to become 
I would say not obligatory, but you know, if you had King of Fighter, you you were able to say, okay, who's the strongest character between um, between uh, Ryo from Art of Fighting and Terry from Fatal Fury, for example. And so, the the way of doing it was also, you know, something in the air. Like it's not uh, it's not something that is uh, out of nowhere. It was a trend back then, and uh, it's even more a trend today. Actually, it never stopped because uh, if you check, for example, games like Dead or Alive or Soul Calibur, they always add you know uh, guest characters. And today, you can play a samurai shodan character in Soul Calibur. You can play a uh, uh, king of. <laughs> you can play Jesus Ward and Akuma in Tekken. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. so that's basically something that started right on this year. You, you can play John Rambo in Mortal Kombat now. <laughs> yeah, John Rambo. Yeah, with Robocop and Terminator. So you can do the yeah. match. Like, who's the strongest between Terminator and Robocop? That and and you know, it's stupid, but you. you it's a child, you know, kind of, I don't know, something like, who's the strongest between Robocop and Terminator? It's important, we have to know. <laughs> and uh, that's something that you, you, you that, that's a fun, you know, thing to compare power levels or things like that. That's something Dragon Ball is all about, starting with Dragon Ball Z and, uh, and still going on with Dragon Ball Super today. I mean, yeah. you think about it, it's like, I mean, it's like the energy of like, cafeteria arguments in grade school being manifested <laughs> yes. into like yeah. you know because i mean it's like whether you're you were arguing about system specs or the legendary blasphemous like superman versus goku or whatever it was like you know this this stuff sort of played to that played to that so now that's why you're seeing oh well now we can find out you know, except, like... <laughs> except that now we're, we're all in our 30s and <laughs> with That's jobs true. and sometimes kids and we're like yeah we're going to see who's the strongest between Terminator and Robocop <laughs> it's like we're finally yeah. going to settle the score yeah. I have an, uh, an absolutely unnecessary amount of trivia um, yeah it's, it's, more, it's more about um, actually I, this is something that I will post on Twitter for everybody so a shocking amount of the information that is available online about the development of this game, outside of the developers talking about it, actually comes from a little-known video game magazine called Maximum. Um, they they were really into this game, and they did a number of features and interviews on it. Um, so I actually did some searching when I was doing research on this, and uh, there are um, online out-of-print versions of the magazine, of the articles that they talk about with this, and that's where a lot of the development information about its early days comes from. Okay. Uh, any any interesting yeah. factoids you want to share with us? Uh, well, that was where the uh, the the information about Akuma came from. Um, okay. Let me look at my notes if there is anything else. Um, oh, I, I I have an interesting fact from uh, Katsuya Akitomo's Twitter. He recently revealed that um, Marvel Superheroes, uh, which was the follow up to to this game. Uh, that was actually in development at the exact same time. Yes. So they, they yeah, yeah. were planning both games at once. Wow. Yeah, the the two games were developed at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's not uncommon because if you if you think about it, the um, the the um, the fact that games 
took way less time to develop at the time and that you could re reuse a lot of it was the same hardware the same almost not the same team but you know the same company and basically it's it's the same franchise with approximately the same rules you know even if uh, Jim Lee is very important to X-Men uh, they could reuse all this you know style and uh, and access and things like that in another game right after so that that's not very surprising when you think about it yeah yeah from a practical standpoint yeah but, but just as a fan you know it's it just uh, i remember that being the follow-up and yeah because um, i mean because i had just... lost their combos <laughs> yes and it and that's why i'm just kind of shocked because like you know like just from like a fan's perspective like the experience of seeing X-Men Children of the Atom for the first time was very different from seeing Marvel superheroes for the first time. So it's like, it, that's interesting that both games were being developed at the same time because Marvel superheroes definitely has a, a, a feeling of like, we've seen what was possible with Children of the Atom and now we're expanding upon it. So like the fact that it was in development at the same time is, is, is actually pretty interesting because there's such different games. I, I want to give people a little bit of a snapshot in time here from around, uh, we talked a little bit about the, the context, but like to give you an idea of like what was being talked about around when X-Men Children of the Atom came out. So um, actually Children of the Atom in Maximum was opposite uh, a massive spread on Samurai Showdown 3. Um, then the, the pages after that talked about um, Virtua Cop. And then Sonic <laughs> the Fighters. <laughs> oh shit! Oh no! Not this game. Uh, Goldeneye and Mario oh 64 God. were also being talked about, um, as well as uh, like a couple things like Killer Instinct 2 and Kingsfield 2. Uh, like as Richard mentioned, the PS1 had just come out. But I just wanted to kind of put that in everyone's mind. Just like a, a, a like this is not like a thing that that was uh, only against 3D games. Like I said, there there was a, a massive focus on Samurai Showdown 3 as well, but it's still, there was still something that uh, the industry was very excited about. That's so interesting. It's easy to forget that at the absolute height of uh, hype for, for 2D games, like, that was the beginning of uh, 3D gaming. Uh, yeah, that, that of was there. That's something a lot of people forget, but the peak of success for 2D fighting games is actually 1995. And after that, after that year, it started to, to drop like a lot. For example, if you don't know about this, the most KOF sold uh, at this time is actually KOF 95. Like everybody mm. remembers, you know, uh, like 97 is super popular in China and 98 is the gold and things like that. But the, the most popular King of Fighter from a sales perspective is apparently King of Fighter 95. And that that's normal because you know well Tekken 2 was coming Virtua mm. Fighter was having his uh, third episode in preparation at this time and there were so 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 many games that so many fighting games that were exploring new things in 3D uh, like Bushido Blade for example and we could talk also about the the the, the very strange and very very strange fighting games of the of the Nintendo 64 like there are 
there are games that nobody knows about on this oh, machine. Spiders are, Destiny. Yeah, things like that. And <laughs> so and even Capcom was trying things, you know, at this time. We we um, with things like uh, how, what was the game like Superbot? Um, Cyberbots. Uh, Cyberbots. Yeah, things like that. So it was everyone actually was trying something new, and of course, to the fighting games, except maybe for X-Men and Marvel Super Heroes because they, they were linked <coughs> sorry, to comics. So playing the comics was the, the thing you wanted to do. But for other games, it was 3D, 3D, 3D. Yeah. I think I already said it in the previous episode, but um, in, in years like 19... Four or ninety-five, the press and the fans were waiting for Street Fighter Three, and to them, Street Fighter Three was going to be a three D game, <laughs> which never happened. Yeah, oh, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty. Pretty much. Uh, I think like the Street Fighter EX series became like what they may have wanted to attempt at, like a Street Fighter Three that was three D. Yeah, but they didn't have the name Street Fighter 3 and people wanted yeah, to, oh, sure. people wanted the same shock in Street Fighter 3 that they had with Street Fighter 2 basically. They wanted a 3D game that will that will that will make them feel a sh- an equivalent shock that they had with Street Fighter 2, but it was almost impossible to to achieve actually. I think the game that that made it possible is probably Tekken 3. And it came out in 98 and it was already, you know, the third of the series and uh, it had everything that people wanted, you know, mini games and a vast cast of characters and the refined mechanics and things like that. But you can't make a game out of nothing in 3D like this, you know, you had to experiment and... uh, and process it like even if you take for example Sega with Virtua Fighter before doing Virtua Fighter in full polygons and things like that the main problem they had was the, was the camera like they had to find a way for people to see the true characters but before that they did games that were 3D fighting games but the camera was behind you and the, the characters were made in sprites things like that so you know you, you can't achieve what Street Fighter 2 w- did in 3D without making experiments before, but people at the time were all waiting for Street Fighter, basically uh, Street Fighter 4, but uh, in in uh, 1996, you know, so that was a bit uh, a bit too soon, probably. Yeah, the the funny thing is, um, I, I even remember like just shortly. You know, dur- during this fight, like probably around the time, by the time Marvel Superheroes came out, you already had magazines saying like, oh, why, why are they still doing 2D games? Like they got to get on the, the 3D boat. And I mentioned this before, like I, I remember someone saying like, you know, Capcom better jump to 3D or they'll be outclassed by games like Criticom, right? Because, you know, that's such a <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, Capcom jumped to 3D, but not in fighting games, and uh, they had huge success. So it was it, it was not their thing. I think that's all. They 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 didn't manage to to evolve quickly enough. But to be honest with you, we we know now that um, if you don't have good competition, like why why are Soul Calibur 
and Tekken and Virtua Fighter, you know, revolts. It's because at the time there was a rivalry between Bandai and Sega for who is going to do the best 3D, I don't, I don't know, racing simulation, for example. Um, Namco, Sega. Uh, yeah, Namco, not Bandai. Yeah, Namco at the time before they, they merged. And uh, so th there was competition. Like, for example, Tekken was just a uh, an answer from uh, uh, Namco to Sega with Virtua Fighter. It wasn't even, you know, a fighting game. That was that was the, the goal was to say, we're going to do a fighting game because it's popular, yes, but also because we want to um, skill up in 3D and the best way to study interactions and animations and things like that and realism is is to do human uh, human characters or animals or things like that. So we're going to do a fighting games because yes, it's popular, but also because you have you know to interconnect two 3D models, <laughs> and yeah. that's sometimes very complicated. So Capcom didn't have this you know um, philosophy at the time. They were in 2D. They were the leader. They didn't want to risk anything with Street Fighter. They were so afraid to mess up with Street Fighter. That's the reason why they did Alpha. That's the reason why they they gave the 3D version to uh, Arika. So they they um, they didn't you know invest enough in technology early enough to be able to do it. And that shows because if you look at Resident Evil, for example, yes, it's a 3D game, but it's a 3D game with a single or if you have a zombie, two 3D characters inside a pre-rendered background. So it's, yeah. it's way... Imagine that um, Street, uh, Virtua Fighter 3, which is a beautiful game, came out around the same time. So you, you see that the, the, the 3D engineering and, uh, and craftsmanship is way, way less important at Capcom at this time. Well, that was a tangent. Back to X-Men. Sorry about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, uh, so, something maybe uh, gameplay-wise I'd like to touch on is um, I remember at this time, like, all of a sudden, like, combos were just, like, just exploded, right? Because uh, 94 was also, like, a Killer Instinct. The game just built around, yeah. like, the combos anyone had ever seen. And, um, yes. Yeah, like just something was in the air. Like that was just well, what keeps craved, I guess. That's basically well, you know the the the, the players skilled up. That's as simple as that. You know, some players they 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 were super good at this, and one of the things that is the most satisfying to do is to body your opponent, as James explained a lot in a lot of episodes of the Heart Eater podcast, there's nothing better than humiliating someone on an arcade cabinet. And, <laughs> and so when you imagine you're in 1994, you've been playing Street Fighter 2 for three years now, you know, yeah. and you're doing the basic same combo, which is jumping roundhouse, crouching medium kick, adoken. And you're like, I want to do more, and players wanted more. Um, game developers were more capable, capable, so they could do 
well, they, they thought they could do because actually all those games from this period are broken from a gameplay for a combo uh, system perspective. Killer Instinct, for example, has infinite inside uh, with uh, Cinder, for example. But that's just what the market wanted. You know, that's what the, 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 the game designers wanted. And we were in a escalation of complexity, of uh, excess, of presentation. Everybody was doing the best it could to, um, to beat the competition and saying, look, we have combos that goes to 30 hit combos. That was 30 is better than 29. You see? Yeah. <laughs> and that's all. Like, like that was, uh, it feels, you know, like childish in some sense, but, but you that, also... that was a good argument. I mean, this is what, this is the era of like, this is Sega does what Nintendo don't. So, yes. I mean, that was like what was going on. And I mean, again, you know, I know that I was sitting playing like Super Street Fighter 2 on my Genesis trying to like find long combos because I wanted to do more than what was presented because, you know, Super 2 didn't have supers in it. So it was like, all right, well, let me see how many rapid fire link attacks like weak attacks i can put together before a special move or like you know it made me explore which was fun but it was just like i'm ready for more and chosen of the atom i saw someone do a jumping fierce punch and it was five to six hits in the air i was like oh my god <laughs> i was like i'm ready to play this game can street fighter 2 have a combo counter i'm, I'm actually uh, trying super, to... super two did super two did that was the first game that had it um okay. super 2 had it so that was also part of like being able to know oh that's a combo you can't get out of that oh okay like and then seeing the number of hits it was was like a bit of a special thing for me so you know i got into that big time like trying to maximize like how i could do a combo or like you know how many hits it was like that was a big deal for me so a game like Chosen of the Atom with its aesthetic really pulled me in. Ironically, I thought that Killer Instinct was very goofy. Um, and it had a lot to do, ironically, with the sound design that seemed like it was trying to do something similar to what Chosen of the Atom was doing, but it was just a different approach. And it resulted in me almost losing a match in a tournament because I started laughing because there was a Killer Instinct cabinet next to me where someone was hitting Saber Wolf with an ultra combo and every sound that came out of Saber Wolf's mouth was like, like a whimpering dog. And I just <laughs> lost it. Like I took my hands off the stick. I just started laughing. And then other people realized why I was laughing because Killer Instinct Cabinet, for those that don't know, like when you're in an arcade, like depending on like the space of it, like it affects like, you know, the sound that you hear more so than, cabinet that you're on or next to and these things are made out of wood um different arcade different arcade boards had different sound systems connected to them in some cases like capcom had like a q sound setup for some of their newer cabinets back in the day uh you know different companies had different things and i don't know what it was about rare but they had the biggest loudest speakers that like were known to man so right. when you huh oh yeah yeah go on go on yeah, like, so when you see, or I'm sorry, when you when you hear, like, a combo happening in Killer Instinct, 
nine times out of ten, you hear it through the whole arcade. No matter where you are, it doesn't matter. You're going to hear yeah. monster combo. Like, you're going to hear that. And you're going to hear what happened before that. And, I mean, this thing was right next to me. And it was screaming. And you got to understand, like, when you're seeing the, you're hearing this, like, 60-hit combo, and he's wincing every single time he gets hit, the sounds just, like, it just sounded goofy. And it broke me. Like, I was just like, I can't even concentrate anymore. So, um, yeah, like... Yeah, fun, fun fact about Killer Instinct. It, it literally was the loudest uh, game in the arcade by design. Uh, because what they yeah. did was, um, uh, as as the combos go up, uh, it actually gets louder and louder and louder. And the thing is, like, um, in you know, in the early stages of the game, people hadn't figured out the loud uh, the 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 longest or the loudest combos yet. So by the time people did, um, you know, were able to get to the monster combos, like it, it was booming because it was at a decibel level that the arcade operator did not even think was possible because they just hadn't, it wasn't even part of the sound tap. It was just way louder. Yeah, like it's just, it's, it's something that people probably will never experience again, but it is definitely like, a moment that I will never forget being in an arcade, just hearing like, or, 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 it was just, it was, oh my God. It was like, <laughs> it was the That's, goofiest thing yeah. in the world. And you got to remember these combos were super long. Like they yeah. were like 30 seconds, 20 seconds long. So hearing that over and over in your ear while you're trying to concentrate on something else, it was just like, oh, I can't do this. Like I can't, like, like it was just, it was wild. But that's, but that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to, you know, get people's attention they were trying to like steal the focus in whatever way like it was about who was the biggest who was the baddest um and i think the the fortunate aspect of it was that like we got games where you got to see more complexity you got to see games with more things going on than what you could possibly think and uh it was a different type of energy uh in arcades because of that and it was was a fun it was a fun time it wasn't perfect but it was definitely like a a fun time um, you know, hopefully the confidence of getting a player to understand that you can have fun with these games more is something that'll come in the future. Like, I think Thomas, you put it really well. It's like, nah, man, advertise that you can beat the hell out of your opponent. Like, yeah, you, you can do that. Like empower the player yeah. even before they turn it on. Like when there's looking at the box for the game, it's like, throw that those statements out there like no you That's, too can you know. which is fun is that what is fun is that the the guy that promotes it the best is uh keats who's who's one yeah. of the game one of the game designers of the recent killer instinct and he was saying something was super funny he was saying like oh uh, if you put on the jacket on the on the package on the box that um that uh, master this game in 10 seconds and <laughs> that, you're going to go of course everybody is going to say oh i can't wait to go home and master this <laughs> game in 10 minutes <laughs> right <laughs> like and, oh uh, man i can be uh, a pro sure and uh, and instead of that you you, you shall you, you shall go uh, to the basic incident i don't know if it's because i'm watching you know cobra kai like the follow-up series of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Of Karate Kid, but there's something maybe a bit, you know, uh, n non polite 
today to say, oh, I'm going to to break his arm and kick right. his ass, yeah. and I'm going to enjoy it. Maybe that's something you know that people find is um, disrespectful today. But yeah. I think you should probably advertise it this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That, that's probably part of it. You know, because uh, like the thing that you see now is like you know accessible or. Yeah. you know featured at evo or you know some big tournament you know that's like how they're trying to get people to you know play it's like nah man just yo you can sit here you can learn combos and obliterate your enemies over and over that that is what you should you strike know, first strike hard no mercy <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh man! Like, what is it that it says on the continued? Like, it's only death anyway, or something. It's like they say some wild stuff if you look at the small text in Third Strike. Like, it's 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 kind of great, but yeah, like you know, when you advertise things like that, you can have uh, that type of energy, uh, and you don't have to have like combos get louder and louder next to people, and possibly you know destroy their hearing. Right. And also, so, yeah. Sean, I wanted to ask you something. Are you there? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, since you are, uh, you know, our expert in UI and uh, UX and things like that. There's something I really enjoy about this series too is that the, it's the transitions. I think you noticed in the game in Expansion and the Atom, oh, they they manage, you know, to to have um, they use the yellow color a lot. Like because it was used on the costumes, you know, and there's this giant X coming oh, yes. at each transition for stages. Yes. Of <laughs> and if you launch, if you use the super two, I think it appears, and that's something that's so so excessive too, because you know you didn't have UI that would color the entire screen, like hiding everything at the time. That's true. That's very true. It was very conservative in comparison. Like, usually it's more conservative. Yeah. Uh, part, part of me wonders also that we were talking about all these things that made this a bit more of a bombastic style game than, than uh, other games at the time. But th this is not going to be as exciting. But uh, my speculation is I wonder if it was actually a memory limitation. Um, because they use, they're using so much of the, the onboard memory to to do what they're doing laying like richard richard remembers back in the day uh doing something with like a one pixel color of magenta as transparency um mm. i actually wonder if it was a way for them to save on energy like one single color with an x of transparency would have actually been pretty light load on the ram mm -hmm. um which is already loaded you know basically to the, the top um uh, especially on like systems like the saturn uh a little bit better for the arcade, but um, granted, uh, like I said, the and the, like like the uh, I think they they kind of had the gameplay in, in my opinion was already so it's so kind of exciting and interesting to watch that they probably had this thought of like well how are we going to make the supers look even more super because like uh, some of the some of the regular regular moves look pretty cool like even uh, uh, like a Wolverine's Berserker Barrage is yeah. pretty cool looking. And it's not a super. So I, I think that was actually a very lightweight way to have an entire screen fill, flash it back and forth, only have one pixel color of uh, memory, um, and get like a very impactful uh, feeling to it. So 
that's that's my I don't know if it's really a UI thing, but that's that's what I thought about it. But I mean, it's definitely very iconic. The uh, <laughs> just the, the this is this is also the game that introduces the the saying like X when you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my my speculation. It's it's flat design before it was a trend. <laughs> well, so. Uh, like, like not not a tan not a tangent, but like a, a mini mini rant <laughs> on that, which is that like so, using using like a single color very cleanly, very similar to a lot of the styles that uh, James actually uh, talks about or uh, references in his art. I think there is a difference when you look at like art house and you look at like graphic design and flat design. Flat design is. Um, like, it was, it was more of, like, you know how most art history things go back and forth between, uh, like, they're basically, like, reactions to each other, right? Like, um, you know, like, for instance, like, Art Nouveau being a reaction to previous. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like, to some degree, flat design was a reaction to skeuomorphism. But in this case, I think we're just looking at good graphic design that yeah. knows when to use flat color and when to use gradients. Like, uh, oh, and, and uh, I, I feel like it was... Um, something that tied it all together. Like you even uh, notice that they probably could have done it because like their text, a lot of the hit text, the start text, even the characters had gradients on them. So uh, I think they had a lot of availability to use um, texture if they wanted to, but um, I don't think it was just a really smart layering. Um, I don't know, James, maybe you can talk about it a little bit, but I know like certain like well-rendered comic characters, not just in Marvel, but they, they tend to really have a nice contrast and stand out when you place them against like flat color or flat text or um, very like iconic shapes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that can be said about like the uh, shape language or I guess like the line language of uh, like comic book characters in general. Like, you know, you look at like um, a lot of Jim Lee's work, uh, color separation wasn't really popular until like, I think, the late or mid 90s like a lot of art had to be supported by really strong use of solid black placement um and you know jim lee was someone who was able to use that in a i don't want to say a minimalistic way because he definitely used spot blacks and hatching but there was a way that it was approached where flat colors could be placed on it and it popped the way that it needed to and i hate saying it that way but uh his style was very striking <laughs> uh with uh, the combination of the way that his work was inked, which, uh, you know, Scott Williams is, was a phenomenal inker and made his work look uh, incredible. Uh, it, it's something that I think helped make the shape language work really well with just flat colors. Um, what's interesting is how that was translated into the sprite work without using hatching. Um, which I think a lot of it came down to just the shape language being uh, exaggerated in particular ways while still paying respect to uh, the source material. Because those sprites are Jim Lee as hell, but they're not Jim Lee. Like, it's it's, it's interesting. Like how, yeah, it's it's very Capcom. um, But yet a lot of respect was paid to, uh, you know, make those things work the way that they do. Um, Yeah. and uh, sorry, I wanted to add like one uh, final detail to that when I when we talk about like the intention. So the um, 
kind of what you're talking about around the, the style. I think the reason, the other reason that makes me think that they decided to use their pixels on the style of the character, kind of what you're talking about, rather than like the X thing, is that you can see um, the anti-aliasing on the Xs and stuff like that because they, they didn't want to use additional pixels. And you can tell that they didn't need to do it because other shapes within the interface, like the, um, like the super bars and like the text actually use relatively extensive um, anti-aliasing where they're basically in this in this particular version of anti-aliasing where they're using multiple of the same color to create curvature um so i i don't like like this kind of style we're talking about I, I really think that they made a lot of intentional choices to give themselves as much power to paint and create that feel within the actual game sprite art uh, it's a real like I think this this has to do with the focus on matching the art style or really like or yeah. not matching it but like you know evoking it right yeah I mean and, and it shows in the, uh, the 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 final product you know speaking of like tenacity you know one of the things that again I mean this is information that I think is like more recently available to people but uh, you know Katsuyaki Tomo. Uh, I really feel like he's the father of, of 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 hype, and I feel like without him, none of the hard work and the determination to create something that no one thought would happen but wanted, uh, I think a lot of that comes from his passion towards uh, getting Capcom to acquire the license. But not only that, because I mean, you know, to me that's like a big hurdle to get over yeah. in the in the '90s. But for him to put in so much love for the source material, you know, the, the translating of, of the, you know, the material. And I think I he, he managed to, to, uh, to um, trigger the imagination of his colleagues. Actually, yeah. you know, he managed to, to, to take people that had another culture, I don't know, another set of standards and habits, and he made them care to the point where they, they they could invent things that nobody else could invent. Point: They were already very talented people, you know. That even talented people, if they are not passionate about what they are doing, if if you don't trigger their imagination, they are not going to to do something like the like the the, the main pose of a of a spiral, spiral like we of spiral like we said before, or the Berserker barrage that. Uh, all those things, you know, that's there's something to say about not about you know bringing the comics at Capcom, but to manage to make people care. That's something very very different, actually. He could just have you know managed to translate a few things and say, okay, deal with it, but probably he, he did more, you know. And I think that that's that deserve even more respect because. Making people care about what you care about, it's probably the most it's probably one difficult, of difficult thing. things. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that that hard work has span. It's, it had a domino effect for decades. Like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is something that not only affected uh, developers, uh, but it also affected players. Like, these games, uh, influenced the trajectory of some people's lives you know like justin wong's life might not have been the same if not for these games i mean did he have a plan b sure like but at the same time like 
the the art he was able to uh, express uh, for years <laughs> in Marvel vs. Capcom 2, like, we would have never been able to witness these things, you know? Um, the, the, the dynamic energy of, of Yipes as a, as a person, uh, as someone who loves art, you know, in, in, in the form of playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2, like, we all would have never known that. Like, it connected the whole world in a way. Um, and the work that Akitomo did, you know, there's no way that he could have known that, you know, these things would have had such a, a, a domino effect. But, you know, I'm very thankful for uh, the experiences that he's created, not just for me, but like, uh, you know, for for other people that I don't even know or that people that I've met through playing these games or, um, you know, seeing X-Men Children of the Atom, I mean, you know, I had somebody who works in animation, actually, you know, they were looking at my work and they were just like, you are overwhelmingly inspired by, <laughs> like, the way that these people approach their work. And while it's not necessarily similar to their work in that regard in terms of, like, the quality level, I'm saying that, but um, the heart is there, the energy is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it's like all of that hard work that I didn't know he was doing when I was a kid was the culmination of an experience when like I walked into an arcade and I heard, you know, Cyclops, you know, say gene splice, or I heard, you know, optic blast. I'm like, wait a minute. And I go (laughs) over there and it's an anime of, it's like an anime experience that I can control. Like I never would have had that, uh, if not for his love for the source material and his tenacity and his, uh, ability to inspire a collective of people to make, something so special that in 2020 uh, Michael B. Jordan after receiving a free PS5 is like, just bring back Marvel 2. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Like, I mean, you know, these, these things, these things mean a lot to people. Yeah. So, you know, shout outs to Katya Akitomo for uh, bringing us together and bringing, you know, the world together. You know, it's like, we never, we never would have known when Marvel was, man. <laughs> if it wasn't for him, so. But that's that's what, really one yeah. of the most iconic Marvel villains in film history of all time is like Marvel Two. Bring it back. Yeah, just bring it Marvel Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh, I think um, uh, I, I think that is such a wonderful sentiment that uh, I, I think that's a good uh, end cap for the uh, Children of the Atom uh, discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Yep. You, you you nailed it, James. Yeah. <laughs> you managed to have Michael B. Jordan and Akimoto in the same place. Tied it all. Only there's like 30 years between the two. The uh, an ocean, a full ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to do it, <laughs> you crazy man. <laughs> I do what I can, man. I do what I can. <laughs> oh, man. Um, shoot. So does this mean we have to uh, talk about the versus games? Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop it. James, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. No, no, no. I'm I mean, not part later of this. podcast. Later podcast. Not right now. <laughs> That's what I'm talking yeah. about, Richmond. That's what I'm talking. I'm saying no. Stop it. One more. Well, I mean, there's well, really not that many, Thomas. I mean, there's only X Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel Superheroes, Marvel versus Capcom One, 
Marvel vs. Capcom 2. That's it's really yeah. That's well, only Capcom. like 14 podcasts, Marvel, right? Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and after that we're doing the you know the Switch game like Marvel uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> no, we no. can't talk about those without discussing Aliens vs. Predator, Predator, the first versus game. <laughs> Going to, and and uh, I, I suggest I suggest I humbly suggest we we do um, you know uh, that the, the listeners I want to know if they agree with me that we should do a podcast on Addis and why everybody is sexy in this game before doing a twelve series episode. On the I mean, I'm fine with either. Like, I'm completely fine yeah, with we'll either. We'll throw it out there to the listeners, actually. Yeah. James, yeah. I have I have a house to renovate. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh man! Nah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll probably we'll do Hades first, and then we'll we'll. Go I'm back just to... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we, we do whatever you want. We do whatever. Yeah. You want. Okay. I'll find well, let's, uh, let's let's wrap up this podcast. So, um, uh, this was Art Eater Podcast twenty twenty six. Wow. Yeah, past the quarter centennial mark. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so happy to that, that we're we we're keeping this going. I always have so much fun talking to you guys. So um, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, you can follow along at Art Eater Podcast on Twitter. That's at A R T E A T E R Podcast. Um, yeah, and then you can also uh, check on our old podcast on whatever uh, podcasting platform uh, you're you're listening to. And um, of course, you can also hop on arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, go to our podcast session. You can catch all the uh, previous podcasts there. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm your host, Richmond. You can follow me on Twitter at Richmond, R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. Um, so that's my info. And uh, yeah, uh, everyone else, please uh, let the listeners know how to follow along. Uh, with uh, you know the other other things you have going on outside of already all right in the famous words of cyclops your turn thomas <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at thomas horus t-h-o-m-a-s-o-r-u-s uh for um thing for i don't know tweets about fighting games and uh, web development and uh so those last moments it was raspberry pi config so that's very nerd like <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course follow the, the article podcast and uh, read the website too because there are articles on the website and don't forget to uh, support the, the art eater patreon on, um, on patreon.com slash uh, art eater og i think it is richmond uh, yeah thanks yeah thanks for the shout out Okay, so uh, you can actually follow me. Um, I'm James Stanley uh, on Twitter at beefy underscore kunoichi. Uh, there you can find me talking about random music that I like that you may or may not know about and uh, food that I am making because I apparently love to cook and I am animating <laughs> uh, a lot of different things right now. And uh, it's basically a culmination of work that I am doing for a very passionate project that actually encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about called Part-Time Shuffle. Um, you can see you know, progress, sketches, uh, animation, and 
just me talking randomly about fighting games and sometimes showing me things I do to people in fighting games. Uh, but yeah, the Twitter is beefy underscore Kunoichi. That is K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. And uh, I'm uh, Sean Borski. I'm always here. Uh, you can follow me at Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Uh, I mostly talk about UI and video games and PC gaming uh, since I, I lead design at uh, NZXT. We make gaming PCs, uh, among other things. Uh, and I occasionally write, although I haven't, I've been playing too much Bucksnax and not enough uh, writing. But uh, I, do, I do get fits of writing and uh, working on a book as well. So hopefully that'll be on my Twitter eventually. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, and Sean is an amazing uh, artist and designer, and he wears wear so many different hats. But uh, he's he's one of the best designers out there. He's uh, amazing, awesome. It's nice, nice of you to say. Thank you. It's true. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the truth. We only speak the truth. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, please follow along along on Twitter. I think maybe we'll we'll kind of throw stuff out to the listeners. Like, uh, let us know what you want to hear from us in the future. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for listening. And thank you guys for joining the podcast uh, once again. It's always fun. I always have, I always come out of this with a really good mood. So, <laughs> so. Later, everyone. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.